Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. As many listeners know, each and every morning, I'm joined by a guest to discuss the weekly reading of the Torah, of the five books of Moses that takes place in synagogues and Jewish communities throughout the world. This week's parasha is entitled Bo. It is from the book of Exodus, beginning with Exodus 10 and concluding with Exodus 13, verse 16. It is a story that many of you will recognize, but I want to give an overview of it to all of you. So in this parasha, in this weekly selection, the last three of the ten plagues are visited on Egypt. A swarm of locusts devours all the crops and greenery. A thick, palpable darkness envelops the land. And all the firstborn of Egypt are killed at the stroke of midnight on the 15th of the Hebrew month of Nisan, which is considered the first month of the Hebrew calendar. God commands that a mitzvah, a ritual behavior that connects God and the Jewish people, be given to the people to establish a calendar based on the monthly rebirth of the moon. The Israelites are also instructed to bring a Passover offering to God. A lamb or a kid goat is to be slaughtered and its blood sprinkled on the doorposts and lintel of every Israelite home, so that God should pass over those homes when he comes to kill the Egyptian firstborn. The roasted meat of the offering is to be eaten that night together with unleavened bread, which is called matzah, and bitter herbs. And for those who are knowledgeable, you hear the resonance of today's Passover Seder uh, practices. The death of the firstborn finally breaks Pharaoh's resistance, and he literally drives the children of Israel from his land. So hastily do they depart that the text tells us that there is no time for their dough to rise, and the only provisions they are allowed to take along are unleavened. Before they go, they ask their Egyptian neighbors for gold and silver and garments, fulfilling the promise made to Abraham that his descendants would leave Egypt with great wealth. The gold and silver and garments resonates again in Exodus 32 in the story of the golden calf. The children of Israel are commanded to consecrate all firstborn and to observe the anniversary of Exodus each year by removing all leaven from their possession for seven days, eating matzah and telling this story of the redemption to their children. They are also commanded to wear tefillin, known in English as phylacteries, on the arm and head as a reminder of the exodus and their resultant commitment to God. As you can hear, 
This is a pretty powerful story. With me this morning to discuss the parasha is Rabbi Neil Borovitz. Rabbi Borovitz was elected Rabbi Emeritus of Temple Avodat Shalom in River Edge, New Jersey, in June of 2013, after serving the congregation as rabbi for the previous 25 years. Prior to assuming his position at River Edge, in the summer of 1998, Rabbi Borowitz served as Hillel Rabber, an instructor in biblical and religious studies at the University of Texas in Austin, Texas. He had been the executive director of the Labor Zionist Alliance in the United States and as the rabbi of Union Temple in Brooklyn. Rabbi Borowitz is a native of Cleveland, Ohio. And in his spare time, he is a contributor to the Jewish Standard, the Bergen Record, and a frequent lecturer on Judaism, the Middle East, and interfaith, meaning interreligious cooperation. Rabbi Borovitz, as an old friend, it's a pleasure to welcome you to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. Thank you, Rabbi Garten. I know that this must be a special moment for you following on the heels of the inauguration of a new president. Uh, and perhaps you'll make a comment about that regarding Moses and Pharaoh. But for the moment, let's turn our attention to the text. <coughs> In preparation for this morning's conversation, you indicated that you'd like to begin speaking uh, with regard to the opening verses of the text, Vayomer Adonai et Moshe Bo El Faro. That is the opening clause of the first verse. And my translation says, Then God said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh. Now it continues with a very famous clause. For I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his courtiers in order that I may display these signs among them. But I think you want to begin with the very first clause. Vayomer Adonai el Moshe bo el Pharaoh. God says to Moses, and here, of course, we want to discuss the verb bo from which the Torah portion takes its name. So your thoughts, Rabbi Borovitz? Uh, well, the Hebrew word bow actually means come. The Hebrew word for go is lech. Uh, matter of fact, in Genesis, uh, when Abraham is called, God says lech lecha, uh, go forth. Right. Uh, for, sort of a, for those of our listeners who are conversant in biblical scripture, Genesis 12 in the Hebrew, it's called Lech Lecha, the parasha, and the words that begin the parasha are, as Rabbi Borovitz suggested, Lech Lecha, usually translated as go. So here, uh, it's, it's a very unusual uh, term because it seems as if God is telling Moses going and in other places in these plagues god does use the word the hebrew term lech here he says bow 
And so uh, it's it's very interesting because uh, there have been biblical commentators, uh, great rabbis, especially in the medieval period, uh, who have talked about this and come up with some different interpretations. Uh, Rashi, who is one of the most uh, famous of, uh, of Jewish uh, commentators, uh, taught that the purpose of uh, Bo was that of this verse in general was Moses was supposed to go and warn Pharaoh of the consequences of his refusal uh, to let the uh, people of Israel uh, go free. And uh, implicit in that idea is something we should talk about at, at, at some point, uh, the whole issue of free will. Does uh, God's will, if God wants something to happen, does it automatically happen in the world? Or do you and I each have free will? And how does our free will impact on God's will? But before we come to there, one of Rashi's grandsons, uh, uh, who are known uh, in the uh, in Jewish tradition as uh, the ones who add on to Rashi's commentary, Tosafot means additions, uh, and one of those uh, uh, descendants of Rashi was a man named Joseph uh, Shore. Uh, Joseph Ben Bahor Shor, and he suggests that the use of the verb bow uh, was intentional. Uh, that God was saying uh, to Moses, come with me, that it really does mean come. Come with me to Pharaoh. So in and, this case, just let me yeah. clarify for our listeners. Instead of God commanding Moses with the Hebrew word lech, implying that you should go alone, this 12th century French commentator is suggesting that beau means come with me. I, God, will accompany you. And we can ask whether that means physical or spiritual accompaniment as you go on your way to Pharaoh. Correct? Yes. Yes. Good. Okay. So one of my thoughts on this is how would Moses feel? How would you and I feel, any of us feel, if uh, we failed seven times to accomplish uh, a goal. Seven times Moses had gone uh, to Pharaoh and said, God says, let my people go. And instead of letting the Israelites go, God, uh, Pharaoh makes it worse for the Israelites. So I can just imagine that the people aren't so happy with Moses. Moses is feeling frustrated. And I have this idea that in between the last verse of last week's Torah portion, uh, where it's, it said Pharaoh, so Pharaoh's heart stiffened and he would not let the Israelites go, uh, and Bo El Paro, that Moses probably wanted to quit. Let's think about Moses as a contemporary guy, uh, as a uh, living in the 21st century. His father-in-law is a very successful leader. 
and he's got a a good uh, shepherding business. He's got a ranch. And Moses had been living there with his wife and his children and his father-in-law, and they had a good, good life. When God calls him uh, at that burning bush scene we talked uh, about two weeks ago, and he's probably really burned out. And what should I keep doing this for? Uh, by the way, a lot of us today feel in the midst of this COVID-19 pandemic and uh, in the midst of the political uh, struggles uh, that are worldwide, uh, who wants to go and get involved in politics? Who wants to get involved in relationships with people in power? I think Moses was tired and he wanted to quit. And that's why God says to him, okay, I'm not going to send you this time, Moses. I'm going to come with you. And uh, because God, uh, Moses feels God is coming with him, he's willing uh, to go back to Pharaoh three more times. And ultimately in Exodus 12, in the uh, chapter 12, that is also part of this week's uh, Torah reading, uh, Moses succeeds and Pharaoh lets the Israelites uh, leave. The liberation so, comes to so be. So your interpretation, which um, comes as part of the ancient Jewish notion of filling in the gaps, that the text, the biblical text is very sparse and raises many questions. And over the course of centuries, Jews have developed a tradition of reading beneath the surface of the text. And so you're suggesting that Bo, based on this commentary, means Moses went with God. So why would God go with Moses this time when all the previous episodes of Moses going to Pharaoh, he is alone or with Aaron? What has changed for Moses? And so your suggestion is that God needs to pat Moses on the back. God needs to keep Moses focused. That in a story replete with failures up until this moment, Moses may have had it. He has seen that his personal might and his personal persuasive powers will not move the needle, as they say. Um, and I'm reminded, and you probably remember this, Rabbi Borovitz, that in the beginning of the Moses epic, chapter 2 of Exodus, Moses uh, kills an Egyptian. And the text tells us that Moses wanders uh, amongst his kinspeople and sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, and he strikes him down. Okay, in most cultures, that would be called murder. Might be called justified homicide or perhaps manslaughter, but he's taken a life. And our rabbis are uncomfortable with how the leader of the Israelite redemption 
can be seen to be a murderer. And so they create many backstories uh, to indicate that, in fact, Moses was acting on the advice of the angels, God's heavenly court. And your suggestion fits well within that tradition. So Moses goes with God. And what happens next? Well, he continues to fail. The, the, the next two, pl- the, the, there's going to be three more plagues. But I think that uh, I don't take uh, take this text literally, and I certainly don't even take my uh, uh, my midrash, my commentary uh, literally. But I want to take uh, talk about it seriously. So, what does it mean that? Uh, what it means to me that God is saying, "Come to Pharaoh, come with me to uh, to Pharaoh," uh, is Moses realizes uh, that God's presence is with him. Uh, that Moses uh, has to recognize, "I've got, I'm on a mission, and uh, I've got a responsibility." Uh, and it's not, and it's really a sign of humility to me that Moses uh, realizes he can't go it alone. And to me, uh, one of the things in uh, our problems in the 21st century is that political leaders worldwide uh, generally lack humility <laughs> uh, and think they can do it themselves. One of the things that, uh, just to bring it to contemporary uh, issues, uh, that I admire about Joe Biden, and uh, I've met him once or twice peripherally, but I know people who do know him well and have worked with him, is that uh, Joe Biden doesn't see himself as the smartest man in the room who knows everything. Joe Biden believes in delegation, in convening and building consensus, but in standing firm against tyrants. And I see that I see that as a Moses quality. Uh, that too often we look at Moses as uh, this the greatest of scholars, etc. And there's much in the Torah that suggests that. But here in this moment. Uh, this isn't Moses Rabbeinu, Moses the teacher. Uh, it's Moses, uh, the frustrated leader, who's trying to figure out a way. How can I? How can I find the best way uh, to uh, to lead my people, uh, to liberate my people? And I think that it's interesting, uh, as you mentioned, Rabbi Gart- Garten, that the. Uh, the story of Moses begins with him slaying an Egyptian. And I think that the whole negotiation over the, t- the course of the 10 plagues is Moses trying to figure out how can I liberate my people without a loss of life again? I don't want to be, uh, I don't want to, even if it's justifiable homicide, I don't want to be a killer, even if I'm not a murderer. And he does everything he can uh, to avoid the last plague. And I think that's why there's 10 plagues, that they're 
Uh, Moses doesn't go in and say, listen, let my people go or I'm going to slay your, your firstborn. He doesn't start the, the story with that. So there's another uh, aspect to what you've offered to the listener this morning. That within your interpretation, uh, there is a partnership that God is accompanying Moses in his chosen task. And that while God has chosen Moses to represent him, it appears that Moses doesn't want to do this alone. And so there is a hint here that throughout life, the big decisions we make are not made alone. That using the term you initiated earlier in our conversation about free will, uh, Moses has free will, but as a partner with God in this enterprise, He's willing to continue because the support he feels from this partnership. Now, it's interesting to see God as on the sidelines through all of these conversations with Pharaoh, um, that God shows up for the big uh, moments of the plagues, but the interaction, the conversation between the dialogue between Pharaoh and Moses um, seems to have God absent. And you're alluding to the fact that maybe the text wants us not to see God absent in those moments, that God is present in every moment if one uh, chooses to be the partner of the divine in life's enterprises. Is that a possible uh reformulation or extension of what you were suggesting? Absolutely. Uh, and I think in the Judeo-Christian tradition, uh, at, as Jews and as Christians, uh, we believe uh, in an omnipotent God, an all-powerful God. But we also believe uh, that individuals have free will. and. Uh, that God's will comes into the world through human <laughs> action. Uh, that uh, because we have free will, people are free to do the wrong thing. And uh, that teaching, uh, the fundamental teachings of, uh, you know, in two weeks we'll come to the Ten Commandments uh, in the uh, Torah readings. Uh, but in order to live, to teach those commandments, those divine words, to others, you need human voices and human actions. So I believe that both Jews and Christians uh, see uh, our, our responsibility to be God's voice and God's hands in the world. That, uh, you know, God tells us to feed the hungry, uh, but the hungry don't get fed. Uh, you know, there's no manna falling from heaven uh, today to feed the, the hundreds of millions of hungry people in the world. Uh, and uh, But we can do it uh, through our actions. If God inspires us to do things, uh, to, 
to be his voice and hands in the world, and we accept that responsibility, we can really make a difference. And that's where I see uh, Moses in this uh, portion and my my adapting of the idea of bow meaning come uh, as uh, uh, as saying that God wants you and me and all of us uh, to choose to be uh, to do the right thing, and we can make the world better, and even ultimately bring it to redemption. Uh, if if we choose to be God's voice and hands in the world, and if we choose not to, then the world will uh, continue to deteriorate. You know, on a uh, a side note, uh, uh, I was thinking, but with climate change, uh, I uh, I actually made a, a, a comment to uh, to my son recently that uh, you know uh, all the problems we're having with climate change is God's revenge on us for us destroying his ozone layer. Uh, well, the fact is, uh, what, I'm, what, I'm, what I mean by that irreverency, we can make a difference. I mean, one of the things that we've seen uh, as a byproduct of COVID is that air quality uh, in North America has actually improved in the last year because we're not going places and we're not running factories in the way we were. Uh, so, you know, now the question is, how can we restart our economy and our lives uh, with a vaccine uh, protecting our bodies and all of us protecting the environment at the same time? I, I am uh, taken by how easily you, Rabbi, are able to transfer from what is really a very interesting grammatical nuance between Lech and Bo, and bring us to COVID and to the environment. It's one of the great strengths of the process of rabbinic interpretation. We as Jews do not have to read the Torah literally to find its essential truth. That Torah has many levels of truth. Some of them are easily discernible from the literal level, but many more of the truths are found as we probe within the depths of Torah. Moses, therefore, becomes a very complicated figure. He is not in the Torah the uh, presentation of Charlton Heston as we remember in the movie, or in the uh, Steven Spielberg animated production of Prince of Egypt. But he's a multifaceted human being who has faults and searches for uh, support as he goes along in life. And in some cases, his brother Aaron, family can be support. But in other cases, he really needs his faith in the divine to help him move forward. Uh, it's a wonderful uh, opportunity. It's a wonderful example for our listeners. 
to understand the process of interpretation and making meaning in Out of the Torah. My guest this morning has been Rabbi Neil Borovitz, Rabbi Emeritus of Temple Avodat Shalom in River Edge, New Jersey. I want to thank him for sharing with us and you, the listener, his wisdom. You can find a podcast of this morning's show on iTunes under the name Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts or on the CHRI website. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten wishing you shalom and have a good morning. Good morning.